None of us want to be working in an organisation that isn't actually harmonious. We can't be working in a business that's not making great profit. Our staff want to know they're feeling valued. If they're not feeling valued, they walk. Hi, my name is Ez Chandra and on this episode we're having a chat about future-ready leadership and culture with Brad Rayner. Thanks, Ez. Thanks, Brad, for joining us today. So Brad provides a unique and highly successful leadership and business culture development support that unlocks the potential of your workforce to improve productivity, engagement and harmony of your staff and clients, which increase um, basically business profit. That's That's what what it it comes down to, right, at the end of the day. Now, overall, Brad empowers leaders to lead meaningful change, I would say, in in a nice sentence. Now, Brad, I'm just going to get off with a couple of questions now. One of my first questions is 21st century leadership. Can you please explain? It's a term that's thrown around a lot lately. It sure is. So can you explain what what that means in your your eyes? 21st century leadership is based around the the truth that we're dealing with people who are more sophisticated, more knowledgeable, more inquisitive, and more experienced than we've ever had before. Good leadership, 21st century leadership, is the same great leadership that 20th century leadership was. The big difference, the massive difference, and the truth is you can't get away with just being good enough anymore. 20th century leadership won't cut it here because all the parts that made you great in the 20th century will make you great in the 21st. But in the 20th, you could actually get away with not engaging with your staff, or you could get away with a didactic leadership model if you had other elements to counteract it. But now, all of the parts of effective leadership have to be aligned up. So do you think um, that's a result of uh, needing to be a bit more accountable nowadays, like with, with, every, with a lot of things that we have yeah. in a business, yeah, and transparency and all that sort of stuff so that created that layer of you, you can't, you know, you, you can't just get away with things, you need to really be responsible in all areas of business. 100%. Yeah. 100%. The answer is actually D. It's everything you said. We can't get away with it. We don't want to get away with it. None of us want to be working in an organisation that isn't actually harmonious. We can't be working in a business that's not making great profit. Our staff want to know they're feeling valued. If they're not feeling valued, they walk. If they're not feeling valued or if they're not being taught how to be great at their job, they won't stay. Yeah. The culture of the business is, aligns with the leadership of the business. One of the, one of the truths that I keep coming in contact with now, Sylvia, I started leadership positions way back, paid leadership positions back in 96. So I've been doing this path and the legitimacy you hear coming out of many bosses and leaders, politicians' minds, mouths, is that our people are our greatest asset but their shadows are, their shadow leadership of what they say, what they believe is this, but what they do, how they do it is they treat their staff as a consumable commodity. Hmm. And if leadership is about moving people from here to there, from A to B, to achieving the outcome through your people, you just can't treat your staff as a commodity. They are your greatest asset. So how you communicate with them how you train them so they know what they need to do now and what they can do in the future. How you develop a diversified opportunities for them to have multiple 
opportunities in the organisation and secure up a future for them so they create a safe, collaborative environment takes great leadership. In the past, you could do one, but not all. Mm. 21st century leadership is about doing all of it and having the skills and strategies to actually pull it off. With um, all the latest developments in an organisation and also, obviously, as we enter the 21st century, we are having to deal with, um, you know, the economic... uh, rapid economic environment that's mm-hmm. changing all the time um ceos i guess are put under way you know a, a huge amount of pressure yes um in, in the next what's happening right now you can sort of see it from banks to non-for-profit organizations um so the average uh, tenure for a for a ceo is um probably five years but 75% of them um, tend to sort of fail within that first 18 months. Mm-hmm. So how do you, what, what, do you, what do you sort of see that the tools that are required for a CEO to really uh, muster the storm ahead yep. and I guess increase their likelihood of staying in position and, and being, being empowered leaders? That's a tremendous question. <laughs> so the, what does a CEO need to be able to be successful? Three things. And the three things are three parallel processes that sure. the most successful CEOs are putting into place when they are coming in. The, C, the CEOs of uh, the Ritz-Carlton, the CEOs of McCure, um, hospitality chains, for example, um, they're putting in. They acknowledge, they're working with their boards and they're working with their corporate governance structures to understand that people are driven by their emotions. That we have to put in the structures and the organisation of here are our standards so we could hold people to it mm. while simultaneously training their staff to not only do what they need to do but give them the knowledge that they need to do it to the standard that is required. Sure. And third training their leadership to support that to actually happen so that they're aligning their organizational structure along with their leadership their shadows of how we do things and so then the board comes on the journey so they know that we have to bring about standards that they all hold to indicators so people know what they are so then no one is held accountable to stuff that they don't know that they were being held accountable to Mm. Nothing. The easiest way to lose the trust of staff at any level, CEOs suffer it from all the time when the board say that's not good enough, but the board did, weren't explicit in what they actually wanted and what the success criteria looked like. Mm. They expect him to deliver something that they don't even know what it is that they want. So many CEOs have to upmanage yeah, sure. and actually show their board, what are the standards you want? This is the standards I plan to deliver. Are you happy with that? get them on the journey while simultaneously working with the standards that exist in an organisation mm. and get those explicit to the people beneath them. This yeah. is where we're going and this is how we're going to get I there. I mean, effectively, you, they have to try and get buy-in, buy-in from their, their team, their immediate yes. team, the executive team yes. and the board or whatever, what sort of level. Yes. Take them on the journey, take them on the path, but not just lead from the top down, but also lead and, and share that vision. That's right. With the team. And so once you start that process, you then start your bottom-up process. Right. So many CEOs, successful ones, know that they start with the top-down with the standards while simultaneously finding out the best practices in their organisation, capturing that in their standards, and then you establish what we call the refined organisational culture, the ROC. That's your structure, but that's not enough. 
what makes a business truly amazing. What your staff even here earlier, just for this one example, come to you with ideas of what they're doing, how to make things better, a collaborative development culture where they feel secure in the organisation. Mm. The shadow leadership of the leaders mimics the legitimacy. Sure. So they feel safe, they, they're having their needs met. Mm. And then there's a collaboration, not of micromanagement of, hey, let's take what you've given me and let's make it better because we can do this faster for better profit and less effort. And we kind of, we're here for you as well. It's not, it's not you're not on your own trying to make decisions on your own. That's right. We can make good decisions, but together. That's and exactly yeah, right. Yeah. So we take Google. When the, there was times where they've oscillated between yeah. really rigid structures, yeah. work within this, and times where the staff could do whatever they wanted. But when they worked to the point of a refined culture plus a collaborative culture, and the staff started to see that their input could Im improve the refined culture, and things really happened, and they were listened to, and because the establishment of the culture, the CEOs had established parallel processes, the agility to change was possible. The ability to bring about resource allocation to actually change the way we do our work, how we communicate to each other, even on micro teams between two or three people working in different countries. Yes. Which yeah. organisations they were talking to, how they were talking to each other. The staff came up with the idea, the leadership had the knowledge that, yes, that's in my remit, I'm totally free to make that decision. They make the decision. The CEO sees the outcomes inefficiencies. The work that's coming in simultaneously can grow without actually having to put more staff on to make it happen. Yeah, so that actually comes on to one of my other questions, which is, um, you know, I guess that's along the lines of building a culture where people are, are empowered. Because, yep. um, I mean, that's, that's kind of how we work in terms of efficiency and speed. Yes. We want to work fast, but we want to allow people to make decisions as well. On, yes. And feel empowered to do so and not yep. scared every time they need to do something. So what, what are some of the attributes that you, you think that you would need to build a, an empowered culture in, in an organisation or, or people that feel empowered within an organisation? Know what you actually want from your staff. Mm. What, what does good practice look like? Know what your staff want to do as a leader. Mm. Know what they need to know to be able to do it. Train them to do it. And then give feedback, coaching, mentoring, yep. so that they actually can get better and know they're reaching the standard. Yeah, yeah. So it's, not, it's sort of like, I mean, you can, you can give them objectives, work those objectives with them, with mm. your staff. You can train them, that's what yes. you're saying. And then the critical step is obviously to do the follow-up and get the feedback yeah and reassurance are you doing the right thing you know are we heading in the right direction How exactly that's a really critical part of it as well now yeah. not only is it critical mm. the research shows that failure to do that will result in such small levels of transference of the training mm. that you won't get any benefit in the change of what you're doing and would you see that a lot in organizations where they do they do the training ah. they tick all the boxes and then off you go you would see that oh quite a few. i see it all the time i see wonderful organizations with fantastic online induction processes yeah, yeah. and now they go oh the staff's done that then they expect them to do all these complex tasks but the leadership skills to help them assimilate in the collegial mentoring structure where the mentors just don't show them they actually use questions to help collegiates yeah. develop just doesn't exist and sure. the young person 
you know, it's on the young anyone comes in and they've replaced someone and it's taking them 18 months to get to the same level when yeah, we need right. to be getting them there much, in much three quicker. months. Yeah, yeah, sure. The loss of profit, the confidence of the worker, the fear, and then the other, other everyone else is, there's a concept called belonging that drives workplace culture. Yeah. Young person coming, and we are sort of going into induction here, but yeah. if we don't have the leaders with the skills and the capacity or the skills and the strategies to bring about the development in the staff, to move them from A to B, which is what leadership is. Hmm. The person comes in, they don't progress fast enough. Hmm. They feel, oh, the workplace isn't teaching me what I need to know. They're getting grumpy at me. They're but feeling a belonging doesn't exist. The other staff look at them and go, oh, that new fellow's no good. They don't connect and there's no winning over, there's no relationships. Hmm. And you get a negative environment. But it can actually be solved, not by the staff, but by how the leader engages the new staff member, trains them and teaches his other colleagues, the employees, how to work with the person. So it's the leadership skills and strategies and the training that actually brings about the culture yeah, and the yeah. outcome. Yeah, which is fascinating because um, I think a lot of the, um, the old style of building a culture is more, you know, how you set your values, your missions, um, you know, what, what are the key drivers, what are the sort of the st what's the statement of the overall mm -hmm. business but it's also the implementation process which is what you're talking about it's the training and it's the work that you put in yes to to, to the staff that actually drives drives the culture as well as yeah. everything you say there's you have to do that as well because yeah. that is your legitimate mm. culture correct yeah. this is what we stand for this is what we believe this is our yeah. expectations but then you have this thing I keep referring to as your shadow leadership mm. how do you make it happen in reality I believe my staff are my greatest asset and I growl at them and yell at them every time they don't do anything positive and I never tell them the good things they're doing. <laughs> How's that build? If they're your asset, you don't yeah. do that. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. You know, it is a very blunt statement, but I've seen CEOs and business owners treat their dogs better than they treat their staff. They've got amazing staff and they never give them feedback. Mm. They never show them the great things that they're doing. And, soon and this, we, is where, this is where it comes to shadow leadership. Shadow leadership. Yeah. How you actually do the skills and strategies day to day. You know, we're in the 21st century and things are moving really fast. There is an exponentialism to the amount of data and information leaders have to deal with. AI in many organisations is actually taking the organisational decision making on some actions and even tasks from staff in a direction we never saw going. But what has never changed and will never change is leadership. Mm. You always, people always require leadership. Mm -mm -mm. You bring in a massive in, uh, infrastructure change and you want people to use it. You bring the change in, you expect profit to come. But if your staff aren't efficient at using it because they haven't been coached, trained, taught, mentored how to make the efficiencies, if the organisation hasn't restructured so that the three people who are now supernumerary aren't either given a great package to, to move on or given reallocated tasks, they're still working in the same area. You're paying for the AI and you've still got the staff costs and you yeah, haven't yeah. got a benefit because the leadership hasn't had the skills and the and the effective change strategy to bring that about. Yeah, so I mean, I mean you mentioned um, AI and technology and I guess Every, I think technology is impacting pretty much every 
industry and organisation yeah, out there. Absolutely. <laughs> um, so obviously a bit of background as an advertising digital advertising agency. Um, we've we've grown up in that environment, you know. So we we've grown up with yeah. technology, yes, so to speak. Um, so we are used to working with multiple tools mm-hmm. simultaneously, multitasking. Yes. Um, solving problems really quickly, getting yep. getting to short sharp resolutions, mm-hmm. um, and then coming up like ideation, coming up with ideas really quickly as well, efficiently. Yes, and then also being innovative, you know, looking at ways that we can solve problems by doing our own research, finding solutions ourselves, mm-hmm. and then implementing them, testing, trialing. So it's an organisation that's built on speed agility efficiency all of those sort of things um and i think there's other companies out there as they transition into this world where um, technology is impacting their industry they're obviously going to have to take on that those aspects into the company yes um how do you feel you know how do you feel organizations can really build that transition that bridge between organizations like us Mm -hmm. and and you know where they are now to to sort of try and map map some of those attributes that we're achieving you know like speed efficiency agility what are sort of what are some of the things that they can they can look at implementing from a leadership and cultural type type role I think you've you've actually done the two parallel processes. It's not an easy question. (laughs) It's not it, it is actually quite easy in many regards. Yeah yeah. The leader has to know what his skill his or her skills are the ceo the leader the owner whatever we're working yep. with do they have if you haven't got the skills to actually work out what your standards are and articulate that to your staff your staff are going to set the new standard mm. I've, I've watched you interact here I've, we've met we've had a couple of great conversations here and i've seen your staff ask you questions and they're asking you questions in a way that shows me that you have articulated to them clarity on what is expected, what's good practice, and what they don't have to ask you about. They know their roles, they know what good work is. Mm-hmm. Leaders who haven't got the clarity on what the standards are and what the expectations are need to start there. Mm-hmm. How to, and then communicating that to their staff and training them on how to implement that. Yeah, so I think you hit the nail in the terms that it's not so much the process and in, or, uh, uh, it's not like a checklist of items that you have to go through to kind of achieve that. It really does start with the leader himself it and starts the person the in yeah. at the top. Yeah. So I would say that one is if you're an older style organisation and you're trying to transition to a more uh, tech-driven, innovative type style company, you either hire someone or you get someone in a leadership role that has those attributes already mm-hmm. or you delegate it to a middle management type scenario yep. where those people can kind of take on those things. Mm. What do you think? Because this is the reality of um, business organisations yeah, now. Re- Delig- if you delegate it, what are you delegating? The leader needs to be, have clarity over what they want. Mm. If you're delegating... But wouldn't you, wouldn't you agree that that's happening a lot? Oh, it's happening and that's why they're not yeah. achieving what they actually want. Yeah. Because they're delegating to other people to set the standard that's in their mind. Yes. And in many, let's go back to the CEO question. Yeah. Why are they falling over? The boards want this or that. 
but they don't actually know what it is that they want and they don't know what best practices they're looking for they so they employed someone hoping this person hoping this person will bring the skill so it's actually Correct. up to them so if a leader a leader needs to know what his standards are mm-hmm. or what his outcome is what is where do I want to be at the end then he can delegate and collaboratively work with the others yeah so I think that is the key issue there is the gap between what leaders understand is what is uh, what is the standard yes and especially understanding technology and data and innovation themselves that's right so I think that's the key issue is because as technology grows and it's growing exponentially, the gap is getting wider and wider between, yes. between what an average CEO would know yes. and what is actually happening out there. And I think some of the most successful CEOs, obviously with the tech companies like Google mm-hmm. and Spotify and all these big companies, um, they're already tech-driven leaders. They are. And they're excelling. Yes. So I think some of the some of the older style successful CEOs that have been successful mm-hmm. is a result of their personal investment in understanding what those platforms are doing and understanding the tech-driven culture themselves. They are, yes. So I think I think that you're spot on. I think you can't really delegate that. Yep. I think you have to set a level of standard of knowing what technology is, understanding it to a level where you're confident yourself That's as a person. It. That way you can set the standards and that way if you hire people or you get people to do certain things within an organisation, you'll know whether they're meeting the standards or not. That's right. And you can pick those things up very early. Yeah. That would lead, can I go, go slightly sideways? Yeah, yeah, sure. The concept of developing future leaders within your organisation, not only do you have to employ people to do a task you want, mm. when you're developing up leaders to come through your organisation, Leadership is fundamentally different. It's the ability to work with people, to look at the three core areas, emotions, how do people feel, process, task orientation, what do they need to do, what do they need to know to be able to do it, and the capacity to unite all that and make people really happy to have a go at amazing things and give great outcomes. That doesn't, what our normal leadership processes in employing people is we look for someone who is an excellent salesman to lead the sales team. Mm. We look for a great programmer to lead the programming yes. team. We look for a great roof carpenter to lead the on-site guys. Yes. Yeah. Um, education, you look for a great teacher to lead a department. Health, you're looking for one of your better surgeons. Excellence in your field of profession doesn't always translate to the excellence in the field of leadership. <laughs> Yeah, we see this so many times in, in small business as well. That's right. I've gone into many where I've got, and I've met some amazing men and women who are engineers, doctors, lawyers, um, air conditioning mechanics, um, property developer, and they've built this amazing company and they get to the point where the culture's not good. People aren't happy to be at work. Their staff turnover is massive and they can't work out why. Is that is there a usual size of the business that it gets to in terms of people? Like, Do you know where it hits that critical mass and it starts to be a little bit problematic? Is it like... Research-based, no. Yeah. Experience-based, yes. Okay. So from my observation, yes. three. Three people starts as... A, as That's as, the first as, kicker. <laughs> and if you can survive that and build and survive yep. that, okay. the next one is around about 11 or 12. Mm-hmm. And the next one is... A, the 23 to 27 okay 
mark yep. and then it bangs right out to 40 right and then from that point on 40 onwards if you aren't really establishing your refined culture you'll never get mm. to a harmony at 40 and in your experience like every organizations where it's three you said 12 and then 20, that 23 23 23 27 and then, four, and then 40 and 40 they they're your benchmarks they're your benchmarks so every every organization that hits those milestones in terms of people yes um they have their different unique set of challenges which are quite common within those levels. they are but they have their unique have you written an article on this i haven't i need to write it <laughs> because you're really looking at teams yeah, yeah. at three you've got one one leader three staff you know, you know, four or five, things are functioning well. One person yeah, can look yeah. after it. You hit 12, you really need to have a manager, yes. a supplementary manager. Yes. And yeah. that's where it's about, you, you have someone who's a natural born leader, mm. unconsciously skilled, a great bricklayer, mm. has a great team around him. He's now functioning in the office and he has a, has a brickies um, coordinator out on site, but things aren't running well. Yes. Because the guy running on site was a great brickie, but he isn't a great team leader in the way this fellow was so he has to start to changing how do I train this guy to be lead to be a great leader and yes it's about leadership development not about bricklaying anymore now so that that's a really interesting point because that kind of um, brings along the topics around middle management um, so to speak so going back to technology yes yeah um, away from bricklaying no no that's all right no no you're fine <laughs> bricklaying's good <laughs> because it's practical and it, i often we often deal with um say some businesses who are in the trades industry yep and they have similar issues very very similar issues yeah. so going to a position where you have to employ middle management yes and then also putting in the context of technology and or a tech-driven culture mm -hmm. because often just to give you a bit of background like with with an organization like us we can't implement too much middle management because it slows things down mm -hmm. and it so in a way it's good because it frees up the top yes but sometimes it it creates um, inefficiencies when they come you know something you know that old saying too many mid-level managers creates inefficiencies so how do you how do you sort of find the balance i guess you know between an organization that wants to get mid-level management but also stay quick and nimble and agile at the same time oh okay it's a tricky one but yeah let's go to the the, the reality of micromanagement because when you have micromanagement you start you lose your ability to be agile you lose mm. your ability to people to yep. have capacity so that's the other end of the spectrum yeah. so it's almost what i think that's almost what you're asking because if you have when you're having middle management your staff lose their spontaneity mm. how to keep them people micromanage when they're not confident of what their staff need to do mm. and if the staff aren't confident or because sometimes the staff micromanage themselves mm. when they're not sure if the boss is going to be happy with them because of the way the bosses shadow leadership. Every time they come in, the facial expressions, the mm, the, the non-verbal <laughs> giveaway. It's a big giveaway, and the, they feel this. So mm. instead of being brave and just going, "I'm free to do this. I'm going to work on this. I've got an opportunity. I'm going to chase it down." There's the I'm going to knock on the door of, "Hey, can I'm allowed to do this?" And the boss is going, "Of course you're allowed to do this. Come and do it." And they go frustration and there's this negative spiral of trust mm. so when a 
a middle manager comes in, they've got to be clear about what the staff are free to do. Yeah, right. So when a, a middle manager comes into my organisation, when I'm employing someone to manage 13, 16 people, here we go through a long and exhausted period of probably six months of coaching of him or her. Yeah, right. We're there in my office and we're doing role. If this comes in, staff, come, staff member comes in, they've come in with a complex issue, how are you going to respond to it? Let's role play that through. Because mm. whilst I've already set the standards, helping them interpret it to all the conditions that they need to face so they're ready for it. So on my job, even though I was the leader of an organisation, I had a $100 million budget. My best and favourite job was getting my middle managers to be ready to let their staff have the freedom and hold them accountable when they stepped over those lines. And I guess um, really you've got to invest more time as a leader in the middle management team. That's right. To make sure they're leading properly and managing the business properly. And if you don't do it, you've got to employ someone to do it and have control over what they're teaching. What they're teaching, yeah. yeah. So I was blessed to be in an organisation where I had 180 staff, so I had a number of uh, high-level mid-managers that could do the training for me. Mm. I taught them what I wanted, I set the standard, I coached them, they coached everyone else, brought it up to a standard. Mm. You know, we went from 40% staff turnover of 180 people, 40% every year when I inherited the business, the organisation, sorry, to 0% in four years. Jeez, yeah. We went from having no one applying for our jobs. We had to like, ask our staff to actually go out and start begging their friends to come and actually come and work because we yeah, were yeah. struggling to get staff mm. um, to have someone there to actually do the work mm. to the point um, where we actually had oversupply. Where um, The last, edu- last round of employment, I was getting between 30 and 70 applicants depending on the role. Mm. Four years earlier, we had none because people wanted to come because when they came in the organisation, they get told what they need to do, mm. what the standards are look like, how they need to do it, what they need to know. But then they're trained and coached and given support to get there and they love, staff love that. Mm-hmm. It's not rocket science how to lead them. It, what the difficulty is how when you're a big organisation, it's how to, for you to set it and to get it to flow through. Mm-hmm. And then as you said with the CEOs, I had a board above me. I had to train them in what we were doing. Okay. I had to show them and break down my KPIs very succinctly. Back in the day, I say people would talk about culture, would talk about leadership. Mm-hmm. But what you're really focusing on, as I know your approach, is really around the benefits of it. Yes. So having a good culture creates profitability. Yes. Having a good culture attracts the right people and to your organisation and keeps the people. And keeps them. So can you talk to me a little bit more about that? Is that is that something that a lot of leadership and cultural sp- specialists are focusing on like in terms of is it is it been a more of a results-based thing um, in recent years, in the, in the recent... Or has it been always been like that? Has it always have CEOs and organisations impl- implemented cultural... Um, experts because they want to improve profitability or is it just because they're trying to fix a few patches in the organisation? I've been brought into a variety of different organisations over the last 15 years for a variety of different reasons. One, they want to increase profit and outcomes. Okay. Okay. Pure profit, pure outcome driven. The 
Was that uh, was that recently or or quite a while ago? So this example, so for me, this is a a two thousand and eight two thousand and eight. Right. Okay. All right. So quite a while ago. Yeah. Quite a while ago. It actually took five years. Yeah. Sure. To to achieve it. To achieve the outcome. So basically, I mean, what you're saying is that things like improving profitability, um, getting better staff. There's a whole list of benefits. There's a whole list of benefits. Yeah, but and to, it could be it's someone will come and see you for various reasons. Yeah. So many different. Do they yeah. want to? If do you want to improve your profitability, yeah. so therefore it isn't just about how do you in, how do we cut costs. It's how do we get better results out of our staff. How do we actually change the culture? But they're looking at it at a profitability side. Mm-hmm. We've got massive staff. Uh, real estate agents have massive often have massive staff turnover in their uh, strata title men management and organisation. It's a yeah. really tough field. There's no really effective training for actually strata managers. Yeah, okay. Um, they do a lot of online advertising. They do a lot of uh, online interaction and then they do this very intense sales process and then they manage very disgruntled people in buildings of uh, 600, 600 doors. A young 23-year-old strata manager has to manage all the complaints out of all the leaking taps out of 600 doors, and they're surprised they turn over every four months. Mm. How to slow that down? It wasn't about not having a great culture, but it was actually about how they trained and supported their staff Mm. to learn the skills. Again, coming down to train and support. Train and support. Where the Mm. other one was... So their staff stopped turning over. Mm. Once you actually got that, they were successful... They felt confident. They got that, and so they stopped moving around. Mm. Education department. How do you stop teachers leaving the hardest to staff schools? It isn't actually about the training of the staff. It's about the support when things go wrong with the students. It's about the external supports you put around people, mm. and the empowerment. So, so when things happen, so, so you, sometimes it's around, yeah. and sometimes it's in. So are you saying that um, that that support mechanism that you, you set up, mm-hmm. that is a key drive to improve profitability? Very it? much so. Okay. And, but it's, it's locational specific. Mm. Each organisation's culture, because there's no one size fits all. There are universal truths. Universal truth that how you lead is important. The standards you have in making the staff feel like they belong, giving them the knowledge, skills and capacity to do it. But what each organisation needs to focus on is totally unique. Mm-hmm. And then it is made more complex by the speed of each organisation that they work at. Another thing that's sort of quite, um, you know, a bit, bit of a hurdle, I think, mm-hmm. for all of us, especially, you know, here in Perth, that is a smaller city, um, is, is trying to find good talent. And, and good people, yep. and obviously people that are very specialised in specific skills. Mm-hmm. Right. So it could be an engineering company. Yes. Um, it could be a tech-driven company like us. Mm-hmm. Um, what are the, what are the key things that we need to do as organisations and our culture to attract these people? Because it's yes, brand is important because we brand. have to build our brand. Yes. But is what are the in, in terms of culture, or is it just brand? What no, it's yeah. not. Because this is a key. This is oh, a, this a big is, hurdle. You asked a great question for this. Yeah. Is, this is brilliant as well. Okay. Staff want to belong to an organisation. 
they want to belong to they have moral purpose I want to have a you know Cynic is probably the most famous guy banging on about the why Simon Cynic Simon Cynic Mm. why does this organisation exist but if your why isn't backed up with what you stand for what you want to do so that the staff like you've got right here now can they align their own moral purpose with that can they do what you ask I'm banging on but again do know and feel Mm. if they can do what you ask them to do and enjoy doing it if they know what you need and if you don't need it you'll train them and help them to get it there and they feel great about it number one they don't leave Mm. but they belong and that goes out these days through social media right they talk about everything to everyone the the interconnectedness in the networks is so huge now so the young people coming out of universities the staff in other businesses and interstate know your brand right but your brand isn't just driven by your profitability it's driven by that shadow belonging culture and your staff and your clients actually see this so i mean that builds the reputation that's it and which is effectively your brand and when we employ people people the best and brightest are choosing us we're not choosing them anymore we're actually the best coming if we're looking to track the best out of university yep. right now yep. the three or four the the top ones the guns they're choosing who they go to it's not just law firms now mm. it is all of us yep. and they are going through our social media feeds they're going yes. through our staff social media feeds they are looking at our business reports our, our profit and loss they're not going to align themselves to someone who hasn't got a future they're looking at how you diversify the opportunities in your organization am i just going to be stuck doing this or does that organisation, by what I read from the other staff members are talking about, allow them to do the core job but have an opportunity to work with staff, meet with clients? And then on top of that, and the, probably the most important side, and I think we'll probably head there sometime with the way you're travelling, clients see that. And clients promote your brand. And people want to work for you by the way they see clients interacting with you. Mm-hmm. And when all those things combine, that's when people start to say, yeah, I'm going to go work for Glide because they are a top-notch culture where I can belong to. They're earning great profit. They're doing great work. Therefore, I will choose to go work. Mm. And if you don't pick up those guys, mm. you're going to pick up the next level. And you can train them, but you want the fastest turnover you can. So culture and profitability is what's going to attract your best staff. Mm. Now, even before they graduate, they know who they want to work for, they know who the best are, they've, re- they've worked out who the three top agencies are, and they're targeting you, not the other way around. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Conversely, with my own businesses and the ones I'm working with, when the culture is great and you've got, an, you've got a position you want to fill, there's, no, there's almost no need to properly advertise because you simply tell your staff. And with millennials and especially with Gen Zs following through, mm. If they love the culture and they belong to it, so they choose to engage, and if you're enhancing their personal brand, not only your brand as a business, but your brand is adding to their brand, yep. and they will work with you if you will value add to their brand. So working for Ez makes me look cool, so I'm going to work for Ez. <laughs> All right? Yeah, yeah. I know this because I have a daughter who wants to work for Ez. Yeah. <laughs> All right? Because Ez is cool. Yeah, that yeah. is the quote. Yes, I understand. Ez is cool. I want to work for yeah. Ez. Google is cool. I want to work for Google. Yeah, right. So they're choosing 
I guess, I mean, this will come to my next question. Which Before is around, you go, yeah, that sorry, your yeah. staff reach out because they yeah. don't want to employ someone they know, even though they're their friend, who will ruin the culture in which they work 35, 60 hours a week. Yeah, it's fascinating, isn't it? They I mean, will, they, I've yeah. had staff, and you will have, we get staff who say, we're advertising this job, boss. My mate, uh, yes. Phil, is going to apply. He's awesome. Don't employ him. Yeah, yeah. Converse, well, it works the other way. It works the other way. Yeah, as well, the other. Like I've say. got this other friend. Yeah, he's not going to look as great. He only got this in his exams. But he's but he's smart as and he's, he's smart as, or he's yeah. the hardest worker and he's the yes. fastest learner, or he's, he's got great. a really great attitude. Um, but he just he you know, he had stuff. He's not the greatest writer. Yeah. Yeah, you know, he's literally he's, he's written. But I think I think everything else is awesome about him employing. Yeah, I think it's a good indication when staff do that, like when when you do put a position up and they yep. say, "Hey, look, I really know someone, or I recommend this person because they'll yep. be a great fit." Because they, it means that they have a good understanding of what the culture is mm-hmm. in, within the company, but then they're also advocating someone and identifying someone that can fit straight yep. away so there's a really good definition yes already in place when someone does that it is and they don't um, want to destroy the culture you've created correct exactly so they're protecting it as yeah. well so remember yep. the two cultures that i spoke about this is the collaborative development culture this is the value that good organizations get out of their staff that you never see at the beginning mm. they want to improve your business by who you employ mm-hmm which then leads to most CEOs and businesses. Mm. Why don't you have one of them on the selection panel? Mm. That's really great. Why That's not? A good, that's a great idea. They've yeah. got to work with them. There's things they're going to see. And they're going to get we, buy-in as well. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And the people on the selection panel should then be trained to be their mentor. Yeah. They've selected it. Give yeah. them the responsibility to bring them up to speed, but give them the skills to do it. Now, um, uh, going back to some of the things that you mentioned around millennials I thought it was really fascinating yep because um, and you also this is aligned with what you mentioned around 20th uh, 20th century leadership versus 21st yes so 20th you can't really get away with no well you could get away sorry you could get away we could get away with with being average with with being average or or whatever Um, whereas now I think this is the transition because now we're getting millennials with it I'm actually a millennial Yep. Like, I think I was, because um, it's 1981. 81. Which is the year I was born. Yes, 81 to early 2000s. So I'm actually right on the cusp. Yep. <laughs> However, um, my staff, there's a lot of millennials here as well, mm-hmm. because it's mid-2000s. Yes. Um, how do you sort of think that, you know, culturally, um, working with millennials within an organisation, they've got a bad rap, obviously. They have. Right, so culturally... In the media, everywhere, mm-hmm. they've got a really bad rap. They have, and a and a brand that's a little bit tarnished. Let's just say, you're very generous. They've actually got a shocking brand. Yeah. yeah. How do you? How do we? Is it, is it? Do we have to change the conversation, or is is the approach that we've got to change, or is it like what you're saying? Because you're saying that understanding millennials is the fact that they have a set of values. They know what they they know who they are. Mm-hmm possibly more than what the Generation X used to know. That's right. And therefore, when they are looking at other organisations, they're looking at leaders, they're looking at Google, for example, and saying, mm-hmm. oh, hey, they're cool, I want to work for them. Yes, they so, are. Because they align yep. 
to my, my values and my yeah. culture and my personal beliefs. Yes. Um, so is that is that really the trick? Is that really the... you got a couple idea? of questions there. First yeah, of all, yeah. millennials are awesome. Yes. Okay. Millennials Mil- are awesome. Millennials they're, are they're awesome. Fantastic. All right. Yeah. They, are, they are also probably the most complex demographic group I work with. But once you actually know... Th- that once the leader's got the skills and strategies, because it's not about changing millennials, you can't change them. You get the same as you can't change a baby, baby boomer. Hmm. And I, with the greatest respect, one of my great aunties talks about them. And when she refers to them, she's talking about Italians. Mm. And she can't change her. Mm. I want to. Mm. You know, and but the same thing's happening now, now but, more, but more on a generational basis. That's right. And yes, um, Gen, uh, Gen Z's got a shocking rap, and you, you don't have to go long or be at a barbecue long for people who aren't Gen Z, uh, millennials and Gen Z's to start sledging them. Going, yes. Okay, greatest stories is he's come in on Monday, and on Tuesday he's taken the day off. Yeah. Okay? He was sick, but they are already categorising it. Okay. Um, the biggest issue, not the biggest, the biggest thing with many millennials is the word why. Because they want to know why. And what they want to know why because if I don't know why, how can I not help you? Mm. So it's the approach. So the old way would be here's your job. Yep. Go do it. Yes. And you'll get paid at the end of the week. And That's so right. Forth. Whereas you're saying now it's here's your job. This is why you've got to do it. And mm-hmm. this is why it's important to you and to me. Oh, it's even deeper than that or, is. Uh, yeah. The young, the young, you're right on the edge of it. You're submerged in the social media network. They're used to having immediate data. If they want to know the business results of a company, they can look it up. Mm. So there's no difference between going on your phone and looking up the BHP share report to walking up to your boss and saying, yes, how's the business finances going? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And the boss is going... Why the hell are you asking me that question? That's not... Are you saying I'm no good at my business? Are you mm. concerned that mm. you're going to get... No, they're not. It's actually understanding that this young fellow, this 26-year-old, isn't saying you're shocking at that. Or if he asks, why do we do this? He's not questioning, do you know? He's actually saying, show me the reason so I can try to help it. Mm. This is great. Tell me why I'm doing it. How can I improve it? What are the finances? Is there a way we can help improve it? Mm-hmm. And in, uh, the second side is they actually want to know there's a future because the millennials grew up during the economic meltdown. Right. Okay. So it's not they not were, quite a, a, a position of prosperity. No, they grew up watching mum and dad really struggle. Right. Okay. All right. And so initially yes. there was this great stability, but the younger millennials, the, the basically the thirty downs. They saw some real troubles and they want to align to a business where there's actually, hey, I'm going to give you my everything because I like your why. I like what we're doing. This Mm -hmm. is a great agency. Mm -hmm. Do I have a future with you? Mm. And that's really important because if I do, I'm going to stay with you. Yes. And I I mean, to be honest, um, I think it's really a mindset thing, right? Like Mm. what you said, you go to a barbecue and someone's taking the day off. Yep. And they focus on that. They don't focus on why they did it. However, um, my experience in working with millennials is they're extreme guns. They're absolutely amazing. Absolutely, at, at working. Their work rate is phenomenal. Yes, highly intelligent. Yep, really good with technology and yes. picking things up. Yes, right. 
um, and I think that's that's the key thing here is yeah. that we're working with generation which which are almost like superhumans. Yeah. However, we're focusing the mindset is focusing on oh when did you start when did you finish how many days leave did you take I know. right which is yeah. kind of the old old style yeah. of managing so I uh, I think I I kind of do the same things yeah. in my organisation I I sort of see um, the benefits yes and I f- I feel that the benefits far outweigh the how much leave and how much sick leave and all that That's sort right. of stuff or the lazy the term laziness oh they're anything but lazy but um I don't focus on those aspects and I think it's more uh, quality of life work life and freedom so what I've noticed is that millennials love that flexibility they love working say needing to work from home if they need to um, taking a day off if they need to to go to a doctor's appointment or whatever it Mm -hmm. might be Um, and I think if you have a broader understanding of knowing that Mm -hmm. but coupled with having the right mindset yes um, of the benefits, yes, you know, benefits far outweigh those those aspects. They far outweigh. Mm. If you come as a business leader as well, the millennials are coming from an organ, uh, an upbringing mm-hmm. where we're studying fantastically, mm-hmm. we're watching Netflix, mm. we're listening to a podcast simultaneously. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But yet then we bring them into an organisation and we give them one repetitive task or a series of tasks to do sequentially throughout a course of a day. Yeah. The diversity is the issue. Yeah. They can't multi... No one can actually multitask. The whole concept of multitasking is actually a, um, a fallacy. Yeah. But what is the truth is millennials can actually switch between tasks faster and Gen Zs, mm. the generation following... Mm can do it at a speed we actually haven't seen. The idea that men can't multitask and women can, it's a fallacy. Yeah. It's actually training. We actually, the, the, the microseconds of actually about a switch is actually diminishing. But we sit tie people down with one task. The way we structure our organisations, our leaders actually recode the, the roles, is actually restricting millennials. They're getting bored. Mm. And what do people do when they're bored? Mm. They start to look at what's wrong. They start to take more time off. They're not engaged. They're not in pro- productive. Right. Okay. Yeah. 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 And it's us how we're setting them up. When I mm. when we get organisations mm. where you've got a great millennial, giving them multiple things so that when they hit a roadblock, they get processing time. They tr- mm. you trust them to have the process. Here's a n- move to this task. Move to this. Have a li- have a mentoring role. Check on some other people. Come back to it. That level of freedom, even in a work environment. So there's multiple tasks that they can use their time to allocate to, get some fantastic outcomes of millennials that you can't get from anyone else. I think you've really hit the nail on the head there. I mean, it, I mean, yeah, millennials love multitasking. They're they used, do. They're brought up in a culture where they, like you said, they're watching Netflix, they're listening to a podcast, and they're doing multiple things at once. So yes. Things are, you know, and they're used yep. to that. So they get bored. They do. Very easily. Yeah. Um, and in an organisation, when you do have a millennial in there, you've mm-hmm. got to ensure that they're busy. Yeah. And they've got, they've got multiple things that they're working on. I'm, I'm finding that myself. A lot of yeah. my um, millennial um, employees, yeah. um, they are spe- specialists in one area. Yeah. So they're brought in to solve a particular problem for the yeah. business and own that position. Exactly. However... It's not enough. No. 
they want to do other things, which is you know, fantastic. Yeah. You know, so they can do multiple roles. Yeah. Um, and what happens if you don't give them the roles in your business? Well, I think you've got to be flexible because they may say, look, I, I really love to manage campaigns and media and mm-hmm. all that sort of stuff, but I also want to love, I love writing creative copy. Yep. So yep. you kind of go, okay, well, yeah. Yeah. So you kind of got to give them the support yeah. and the freedom to kind of do the things and explore and yeah. and to take on more things, yeah. as long as they do it properly and do their original job properly. That's right. <laughs> But that's so, the leading in the standards. Yeah, yeah. So, but when you don't give that to them, what happens? Well, they'll get bored. And when they they're get bored, bored yeah. they leave. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Because I'm not being given enough diverse opportunities. Mm. So, and if I can go to the Gen Zs, the generation following through, basically around about 2006 onwards, so they're really only just coming through into the workforce. What employers aren't realising is that the young graduates were about to get coming out. They're, what they are doing in first year and second half of, first half of second year is what used to be in high school 15 years ago. No, sorry, wrong way around. What they're doing in high school. So they're actually doing second year units in first year. Mm. The capacity of our graduates, people are saying these young guys, oh, they don't know what they are aware I think the technical term is bollocks. Yeah, yeah. The knowledge and skill set that the next generation are coming out with is so far in advance. Where the struggle and where they're going to be needing great leadership is in the leadership. How to take that great knowledge and turn it into something that we can use. Mm. And this is what we're seeing with some of these tech companies. They're excelling so fast. Yes. And obviously generating billions of dollars. Yes. Um, but because they've learnt how to harness that, harness they've, the power of these geniuses. Yeah, because they're not—they're not necessarily. It's not just about coming up. It's not like, for instance, Google nope. or um, Instagram or Spotify coming up with an app and just developing it, and then it's a nope. genius app, and then there it, there it goes. It's like yep. building the right team and culture around that. Yes, that continues that perennial leadership, so to speak. Exactly that keeps right. Going. Yeah. So in advertising and marketing. Um, there's a, there's a term that's thrown around a lot, which is customer centricity. Yeah, and yes. so customer centric um, brands. Yes, that want to be customer centric, obviously from the top down. Yep, and then looking at every single touch point the customer has with that brand, mm-hmm. and then creating an environment where people are constantly yeah. trying to improve that. Mm-hmm. So staff, um, middle managers, yes. leaders, yep. etc. And not just the mechanics of that, that customer journey and that flow, not just the marketing automation tools that they use or the, the advertising that they have or the, the, the copy that they write, but within the organization themselves, employing a customer-centric approach. Yes. So how do, we, how do you think org, uh, culture is the best place to achieve that sort of culture? That's a fantastic all-in-one. That's a great... Okay. <laughs> Another curveball. No, let's, let, let's go from the... Let's, let's backward map it. Yeah, yeah. If you want a staff member to be focused on their task, and my task is to be focused on my client, Yeah. okay, I've got to feel I belong to the organisation. Yeah, yeah, sure. Because human behaviour is driven by emotions. Mm. And so if you want me to take all my knowledge, listen to this client, give them my full attention and be adaptable to meet their needs as I can in the moment right now, I've got to want to do that. Yes. 
And so I've, to, for staff to want to do it, I'm sorry, we're going to come back to the three fingers. Do I know what I need to do? Do I know how to do it? Do I feel I can? Have I been trained, coached and mentored to be able to do it? Is what good quality is and when I have a problem. So if I'm working with, because we've all sat on the call phone, call, uh, the call centre and we've got the, the person who's just following the tree. Yes, no, can't do that. And you know they don't give a damn about you. Yeah. And then you read, then you talk to the, someone who's going, oh, we can't really do that, but I think I can adapt it. Let me see if I can fix that for you, sir. Yes. Because they, they believe in their product and they believe in the organisation. Yes. They've been well trained. They're empowered. And then yeah. you get that great person who said, because the JDF is clear and their parameters are clear, hmm. I can't actually fix that, but I know my boss can. Yep. I've got to get his authority and then we're going to fix this for you, Mr. Rayner. You know, NBN. I don't want to promote them because they are a pain in the butt everywhere else. But I've got some great NBN blokes on the phone for my own and so how do we fix this oh, I don't know. we try this okay I know who can fix it I'm gonna to go to them I'm gonna go get the answer and I'm gonna come back and call you sure and they fix it for me so here I am saying my MBN call center and I won't say the, you know, the company but they were brilliant because they believe in what they're doing and they're trained well so I so guess it all comes back down to the support it training, comes down to the leadership the leadership yeah. around yeah around that person to deliver good customer centric and because the staff have to want to do it mm. but then that comes back the next way when the staff treat this client like that the client responds nicely and you've got people who are on the face and when they have grumpy people talking to them they respond grumpily so when you immediately show a staff member a uh, client that you care mm. And you care because you believe in the organisation mm. and you're backed up and you've been trained and you really like this. They respond well to that. Mm. And you get this upward spiral. Mm. Then that person, tell, that client tells other people, hey, go to Glide Agency, whatever Ev says, just go with it. Because they trust the organisation. See um, Graham at here and he'll sort you out with your, your, your multi I, he went he sorted me out I got the outcome he listened to me he mm. made the adaptions sure and the customer centric becomes customer focused but it results in an advertising and a, a culture of the client belonging to your organization mm. they aren't a client anymore they are part of it because they they buy into your why. And they, essentially, that's what customer centricity is about. Yeah, it's not just about solving customers' problems. No. Um, at every step, every touch point with your brand, it's also about connecting the customer to the brand. Correct. And the the customer has loyalty, can advocate the brand. That's can, right. It's, it's, it's constantly connected. Why so, are people not buying yeah. from certain large you know, clothing from certain large chains? Because we can't buy into the where the clothing is being made mm, the why the why mm. we can't we won't buy the t-shirts from mm. there mm. you know we'll buy it from somewhere else we'll pay more which is illogical mm. economically mm -hmm. but under well i mean our why it's logical i mean an extreme version of that is uh elon musk and tesla yes and he's i think he has a pretty strong and out there sort of brand and and why mm -hmm. and he's just released the cyber truck yeah, and which was a <laughs> everyone loves the wind windscreen. <laughs> yeah. So you know, um, the Cybertruck is a rule. It's 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 quite in your face. It's right yep. there. Um, but there's people that have ordered it. There's That's people right. that love it, and you know, regardless of what it looks like, they'll 
even if it came out in bright pink, I'm sure people would still have bought it because the why is so strong. That's and right. And people connect to the why. They connect to the why. Yeah. And so if you can't get your staff connecting and your staff belonging, you'll never become a customer-centric organisation. Sure. sure. So, so the why is important to achieve that. The yeah. why is imperative. Yeah. The what you stand for and what mm. you do is imperative and then your how mm. and I think I mean it's good to reaffirm that because a lot of um, say insurance big brands like insurance companies um, you know health uh, whatever, wherever it might be whatever industry mm-hmm. and they employ thousands and thousands of people and they all trying to all the brands are trying to move towards a customer centric culture yes it's not just about the implementation of technology and how we no. solve the the links in the data nope it's about it's about the why as well that's it's right right at, right at the, yeah. the heart of it it's the why because the why will drive the perennial flow of that into the future yeah not just not just the now not just the immediate term that's right it's going to keep it going and it's going to move that throughout the organization from the leadership yeah. to, to the bottom. To the staff. Yeah. Well, if we don't have great leadership of our people, all of the new technologies that are coming in, that if we look them as plugins, we can't adapt to, we can't implement them at the speed that we need. Yeah. So if you're trying to lead, develop leadership and culture whilst you're trying to plug into the new technologies, you can't do it. You have to have both at the same time. Yeah. If we go very early on, you asked a question about leadership in the fast-changing world, and we focused, I think, on CEOs. But if we look at that as a question of how do leaders adapt in the world now, in the, this exponentialism of change in the way we communicate, um, we need very strong structures of leadership and organisational culture so we can plug things in fast. Mm-hmm. Staffs take up of new changes is directly linked to their buy-in and their engagement with the organisation before the change. Yes, sure. So if you're bringing yes. in multiple changes all of the time, <laughs> yeah. staff are going to become worn down. Mm. But if you've got a great change process where the staff feel they know what they need to know, they can do it and they, they understand feel great why about we're it, changing. They understand and they why see success. Yeah. When I'll put it onto you, when Ez brings something in and we, we get great outcomes, he supports us and we know it's worth the effort you can plug anything in and they're going to go with you because success breeds success they know the purpose of behind it they know why you're doing it they know how they're going to be doing it Mm -hmm. and they know what the outcome is going to be and how it's going to make their life better yeah so you can plug it and be as agile as you want Mm -hmm. agility actually comes from the structured leadership success sure and agility is increasing what, they, what I mean by that, if you want to become agile, you have to start slow. Put something in place and have great success. So the staff see the success, but they learn the process mm. on how to implement. Because mm. there's no point being agile for the sake of being agile. There's got to be an outcome. That's right. There's got to be a results-driven success behind it. And how we do mm. things. Mm. So when the staff get better at how they implement, mm. the pace of change can accelerate. It's really good, Brad, and um, a real pleasure to have you today. Um, I can see you're just as passionate about what you do as I. I'm passionate as well about what I do. Yeah. <laughs> and that's the common common things that we share. Um, so, Brad, um, if someone wants to engage with you and, and if someone wants to do business with you, yep. how do they find you? And where do they go? Where do they go? Mm. 
that's a well the easiest <laughs> way to find me is actually to look at my LinkedIn profile sure at this point I should really be saying go to my website but the reality is I've been so busy for so long I'm only gonna have my website ready in yeah, January yeah. yeah right okay and I've actually don't say go what's to the what's the URL anyway URL website yeah. uh, bnrleadership.com.au okay. which is what it will be yeah um, but yeah you, the, uh, LinkedIn is possibly the best and easiest okay. way to find Fantastic. me these days yeah right Yes. Pleasure to have you on the show. Pleasure, Thank you so much. Um, yeah, that's a wrap. So. Fantastic. Fantastic.